Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today we're going to be continuing on from last week's episode where I was discussing my journey to Costa Rica during COVID. So where we left off was basically I had a fantastic time in Costa Rica. Everything was open. We had a really good vacation, did lots of traveling, got to meet some really cool people and meet up with some friends. And that was fantastic. Entering back into Panama was pretty easy, pretty straightforward. Going to the airport was fine. I mean, I didn't actually need to do a COVID test before I left Costa Rica or anything like that. When I got to the airport, it was pretty empty, pretty open. Um, Not a lot of people around. Very, very easy to go through immigration and everything like that. Um, just showed my ticket, went right through very fast, maybe 30 minutes, the whole process. And the airplane was not overly full. I mean, I think we had quite a few seats open. Getting back into Panama was very straightforward. I had my permanent residency there. So you just go through, show your, your national ID as well as your passport. We have a special line for residents. So it was very fast to get through. Now, we did have to do a COVID test when we arrived. And what we did was actually a rapid test, and we do it at the airport. And it's $50 and takes about 30 minutes. Now, my mother and my daughter had came back a few days earlier. My mother had to do her COVID test, took them about an hour and a half in line. And because my kid is only five years old, she wasn't required to do one. So that's good. Now, for us, we have basically special permission and I'll I'll get into this later on. So we didn't have to wait up in these lineups for an hour, hour and a half or something like that. We basically got to skip the line, quickly do the rapid test, which is not uh, not difficult at all, pretty straightforward, Um, not painful. It's they're not lobotomizing you or anything like that, like some of these other tests that are out there. And then you just hang out for about 30 minutes. I think ours was probably about 25 minutes this time. They call your name, they give you your paper cleared and go straight through. Then it's just collect your bags, go through a customs check. They just scan when you're entering into Panama. Takes about two minutes and you're done. I mean, Ubers are everywhere, taxis are everywhere. There's always someone to try to help you with your bags if you need it. 
and home sweet home Panama. So I spent a week or two kind of getting ready for our Brazil trip, doing lots of work on the podcast. I wanted to do a bit more vacation, so I didn't want to have too much work when I arrived into Brazil. So I tried to get that all done. We had a whole bunch of immigration stuff to do and embassy stuff and papers and everything like that. But I'll get into that a little bit later on in this episode. But yeah, work, work, work for a week or two in Panama and get everything ready. And then we were headed to Brazil. So some of the stuff that I'm working on right now, and, and I'll give you guys a big shout out, is to our Facebook group, our private Facebook group called Expat Money Forum has been growing like crazy over the last couple of months. We're at just under 2000 members now, which is pretty amazing because actually about half the people that apply, I decline access to them because maybe they have no photo or maybe they only joined Facebook two weeks ago or they don't answer the question or abide by the rules or something like this. They want to spam the group. So we tried to keep that these types of people out and we're trying to get only the people in who really want to help and build a community and share their knowledge and participate. So if you go to expat money forum, you can join the group. It's hundred percent free. There's no cost to it whatsoever. I just do ask that you be quite respectful of the rules that we put in place. I put them there myself for a reason. I'm not trying to be a mean guy by any means, but I do want to have the integrity of the group to be really good. I want this to be a safe place for people to share information and network and make friends and everything like this. And we're pretty lucky too, because we've got three other amazing admins who are helping me to moderate the group. And actually, even if you're listening to this and you want to partake more and you want to volunteer to be a admin, we would certainly welcome your help. We're building something amazing here and it's going to be unbelievable. So we did a lot of work on that um, during the week, kind of setting up new processes and um, some new things to help the group to grow. That's going to be really important going forwards. I've had a whole bunch of people ask me why I've not put a group on Telegram or on Discord or on one of the other platforms. Why am I using Facebook? Well, okay, straight off the bat, I don't actually care for Facebook very much myself. I don't use the platform for anything else. I only use it for this group. I actually have it set. So when I go to Facebook, it instantly opens my group and I don't have to go anywhere else on Facebook. But really the reason I'm doing this is because most people are on Facebook. They're accustomed to groups and while they use it, then they get the notifications about new posts. If we do something on a different platform that they're not used to using, if my people are not used to using it, well, then maybe they're not going to see the notifications. They're going to forget to actually go and check the group. Although the platform might be better if they don't see the messages, then overall it ends up being a lot worse. There are talks about us doing a private membership group in the future, which will come with a whole bunch of new features, but that's going to be a paid product. And maybe for that, we might do a private telegram group. I think telegram might be the way to go about this. So it'd be small couple hundred people instead of several thousand people. But you know that everybody who is there has paid to play. So I think that the interactions will be of an even higher caliber. But we're still playing with a lot of these ideas, so I can't promise anything. If this does sound attractive to you, if you are looking 
for some type of more exclusive club, exclusive membership. If you do go to Expat Money Forum, leave some comments in there, give me some feedback. Let me know if this is something you would be willing to pay for. And we would have additional things as well. Maybe a paid newsletter or a monthly webinar or coaching or mastermind calls. Lots of other things that I really wanna be able to share value with you guys and then use the paywall as a way to make sure that we keep out any of the spam. Also by charging, this allows me to dedicate more of my time to it because I will actually be monetarily rewarded for it. But more than that, it's also gonna help me to reinvest some of the money into the membership. So I can actually spend money on new research, on new analytics, on new people to help the group grow and to produce content. Because I'm sure everybody who's listening to today's episode understands that Although the podcast is free to listen to and my blog and newsletter and all those things are free to, to read and participate in, they're not actually free for me to create. I actually have a small team of people that I help or that helps me, excuse me. So I have to pay salaries, I have to pay technology, I have to pay hosting, I have to pay all these types of things. And I'm happy to do it, first of all, because it is a great way for me to communicate with you guys. And second of all, I love doing it. I think that this is the most fun part of my day is doing this type of work. And it helps me get my message out there for the residencies and tax structures and all this other type of work that I do for a business. But saying all of that by charging, I'm able to add more value, so it's kind of a win-win situation. You guys get more stuff, you get higher quality stuff, and I get rewarded for it. I think it works all around. Okay, so that's what I was really up to when I got back to Panama. I was work, work, work on that nonstop, and then it was time to head to Brazil. So that's what today's episode is gonna be about, is mostly about Brazil. I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of catch up on what I've been doing and how to get back into Panama. Because I know that there's lots of people wanting to come to Panama for their residency right now. And they're very curious about, do I need a PCR test? Do I need some type of medical declaration? Can I do it at the airport? Are the borders even open? So yes, I mean, borders are open, rapid test at the airport, 50 bucks, might take about an hour in line, 30 minutes to get the test back, you quickly go through customs, that's it. There's no medical declaration. There's no special insurance that you need like Costa Rica. And country's open at the moment. It's hot. Talking to my family back in Panama, it's quite hot there right now, but people are happy to be outside and everyone's going to the beach and starting to uh, enjoy normal life again. So that's good to hear. Okay, so getting into Brazil is a little bit difficult. Well, I already told you guys all the stories about trying to get the residency for my wife's visa. Like I mentioned before, I didn't need a visa. Americans don't need a visa. We did a year or two ago, but no longer. But to enter into Brazil right now during COVID, you have to have a PCR test and it has to be done just a couple of days. I think it was 72 hours before we left. Now, this is my first PCR test. I've done probably four or five rapid tests over the last year or so, but my first PCR test. This is horrendous. This is unbelievable. I was well surprised. I mean, the rapid test, they kind of just tickle your nose with a Q-tip. The PCR test, they had me sit in a chair, so I really couldn't get away from this thing. And she dug this thing so far up my nose, I swear to God, 
it was touching my brain. I actually had to shove her away because it was so painful. Now you might think I'm being dramatic. Honestly, I'm not. This brought tears to my eyes. I couldn't believe it. I was so shocked on how aggressive this woman was. Now maybe this is not all PCR tests. Maybe your technician who does your test is a lot more gentle. But this one that I had was brutal. So if you ever have the options between doing a rapid test or a PCR test, certainly take the rapid test. Not only are they considerably faster, hence rapid, but I mean, like I said earlier, they don't lobotomize you. You're, they're not turning your brain around or tickling the bottom of your spine through your head. It's crazy. So anyways, got my PCR test, got the results via a PDF, actually from the owner of the PCR, I think it was a pharmacy who did it, but they had a stand set up outside on the side of the road. He just sent it to me on WhatsApp, just the PDF. So when I went to the airport and actually checked in, all I needed to do was just show the screenshot of this PDF. It took them about 10 seconds to scan through it and look through it. And that was it. There was no barcode. There was no QR code. There was nothing really official about it. I mean, I did a legit one, but I think a lot of people out there could probably find one online and use Photoshop to, to alter it. I'm not giving you advice on this by any means, but I mean, I'm just saying that it's probably an option. So add to the PCR test, enter Brazil, you need a health declaration. So my airline actually told me about it or sent me an email about it when I booked my flights. So I just followed a link from the email that they sent me and it took me directly to the government website. Now I had seen one when doing some research in advance that there were some companies out there that would do it for you. However, this is a little bit weird because there's no reason to actually use a third party company because I mean, you have to pay them for this. Then they send you a form, you fill out the form, then they go to the government website and take the information that you sent them and basically data entry, re-input it into the government form. There's nothing special. You're not skipping any lines. Actually, it makes things slower. The one company that I was looking at was like $20 for 24 hours, like $40 for 12 hours, and like $50 for six hours, which I reckon is basically just the delay that they use to input the data. So if you give them 20 bucks, they'll do it the next day or whenever they have time. You give them 50 bucks, they'll find someone to do it immediately. It just goes to the top of their inbox. But if you have the official government website yourself, or if your airline sends it to you and you do it through that link, I mean, you get the results instantly. You don't have to wait 24 hours or 12 hours or six hours or anything. And it's pretty easy. I mean, you're just filling in some basic questions that you don't have a fever, that you feel okay, that you understand the dangers of traveling during COVID, blah, blah, blah. Then you get this email back from them immediately. And it just says that we've received your health declaration, but it doesn't say that you're approved. It doesn't say that you qualify or anything like that. It was just kind of like a, like a support or helpline type of email. So we kind of started freaking out because we did it like two days before and then 
we got the one email and then we're waiting, waiting, waiting and didn't get anything else. So I started emailing around to my buddies who have been traveling in and out of Brazil. Um, my, my friend Christoph Hurman, who I was just talking about in the last episode, he's been in and out of Brazil a couple of times. He's like, no, no, that's the one. That's all I showed to get in and you don't need anything else. And I was like, oh, okay, that's really weird. You would kind of expect the email to have the language in it like, all right, you're approved or you are now registered and you can safely travel there. It was nothing like that. It was just like, we've received it and, you know, basically wait. So anyways, PCR test to get in, health, health declaration, no insurance needed. I do have insurance. I have lots and lots and lots of insurance because I do believe in it, but that was it. So once again, going through the airport was super fast, super easy. There's hardly anybody there in all the airports that I've been to in the last year. Most of them are probably at like 10% capacity, something around there. Maybe you'll see a couple of flights that are full, but otherwise it's very fast. Security, immigration, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm so used to in my 20 plus years of traveling of getting to the airport about three hours before for international travel. I mean, that's what they always recommend. I'm not gonna say that I've always been perfect. I certainly ran for a couple of flights in my life, but I do try to get there early. In COVID time, actually I've found there is no need for this whatsoever. As long as you have your health declarations and tests and everything ready, getting to the airport, you can get there last minute and then still have extra time to do some duty-free shopping. I mean, it's crazy how empty these airports are right now. So we actually were traveling business class coming down to Brazil because it's quite a long flight. I think it's about seven hours to Rio. So we got into the business class lounge and it's weird. I mean, they're open and there's people there. However, the bar is serving like only a couple of drinks. Like I think one type of beer, one red wine, one white wine, Coke and Sprite and that's it. Like not even juices, no cocktails, no mixed drinks, no nothing. So glass of wine, went to get some food. All they have is packaged food, basically like bags of chips, bags of nuts and stuff like this. No more uh, salad bar or sandwiches or anything that you would normally find in a business class lounge. But never mind, still happy for, I think I had two glasses of white and a couple of things of uh, yuca chips or something because they're the only gluten-free food there. And took us about an hour, hour and a half of waiting and we went for the flight. Um, business class was 100% full coming into Brazil. Now, economy class was probably about 40 or 50% full, but it seems like most of the people who are going are business class travelers. Flight was easy peasy. They actually did serve food on this flight. It was my first flight in the last year where they were serving food. They did a full meal, which was quite nice. We brought food with us because we actually expected them not to serve anything. I'm not sure if they were doing an economy as well as business or if it was just business, but it was kind of weird because I always order a gluten-free special meal. I'm a celiac and they actually explained to me they didn't have a gluten-free meal, even though when I bought the ticket, they had asked me if there was any dietary requirements. So I, I always put that I'm a gluten-free and I kind of hope that they would provide, but didn't expect any food on this flight. 
So I was happy to get the food, but 90% of it I couldn't eat anyway, so my wife got two meals, lucky her. I ate her salad and her fresh fruits afterwards, and I ate the food that I brought with me. But basically they were saying during COVID, they've eliminated all special meals. So lactose meals, gluten-free meals, diabetic meals, all of these types of food, child meals, all these special meals that are normally done on airlines, they're not doing any of them. It's kind of one set menu, even in business, and that's all you get. Not complaining, just kind of trying to give you guys uh, as much intel on what it's actually like to travel with during COVID so you have a realistic understanding. I don't want to paint some perfect picture and say that everything is absolutely exactly back to normal or rainbow and sunshine and stuff. I mean, there's some differences here. Nothing that can't be overcome, nothing that's a big deal by any means. All in all, it was a great flight. I like Copa Airlines. I'm a frequent flyer with them, and I think they do a pretty decent job for a Latin American carrier. Okay, they're not Qatar or Emirates or something like that, or Singapore Airlines, but their, their prices are not reflective of a five-star airline either. So that's fine by me. Getting into Brazil was pretty straightforward. Getting at immigration or lining up at immigration was great because pretty much everybody who was there were all Brazilian nationals. And so the line for foreigners and for tourists, there was nobody there. Like we were some of the only people who were entering the country as tourists. Um, it looked like most of the people were coming from Panama back to Brazil, basically going home. So maybe they were coming back after a business trip and they actually live in Brazil full time. Or maybe it's just uh, they live in Panama and they're going back to visit some family. I'm not sure. But tourist wise, very, very little. Going through, they didn't ask for the PCR test. They didn't ask for the health declaration. They didn't ask for any of these types of things. We just had to show passport, Canadian passport straight through. My wife, Chinese passport, but Brazilian visa. She got the 90 days, which was valid for five years, but it's kind of a multiple entry. So she could come a week here, a week there, a week here, a week there. But since basically our plan is to stay in Brazil for several months, she's gonna use up the entire 90 days all in one shot. And then if she needed to get another tourist visa, we'd have to do the whole process again. So that is really, really annoying. All in all, probably about five minutes through immigration. On the other side, exchange some US dollars for local currency. The currency in Brazil has pretty much collapsed over the last year or two. So you're getting so much more uh, reales than USD than I did a couple of years ago. Like I've been to Brazil probably, I think this is my fifth time in Brazil. So I'm not used to getting so much back. Now, I know you're listening to this and going, ah, Mikhail, that's the worst place to exchange money. Come on, you have all this experience. You should know this. Yes, yes, I know. Airports are a terrible place to exchange money. However, a couple hundred bucks and getting some local currency immediately has always done me well. I like to have cash in my wallet. I mean, cash is still king. People accept cash everywhere. So it's just good to have something in case of an emergency. Now. Quick note, being in Brazil all this time, we've hardly used any of the cash. We really only need it when we get water delivery to the house. We're getting the big Culligans, 20 liter, I think they're five gallon things of water. I mean, that's really the only thing that we need it for at this point. Nonetheless, I'm still happy to have some cash in my wallet. 
So it was so weird. After we collected our bags, we actually had to line up and then one by one, we had to take off our masks and walk down this really long hallway and look up. There's basically a set of cameras at the end of the hallway recording you and then a bunch of temperature checks and things. But it's this really long, narrow hallway with no one there and then single file with like maybe five, 10 meters, maybe even 15 meters between people. You have to walk down this and look up. I was never seen anything like this. I don't know how this is gonna protect people from COVID, but uh, I don't know, for some reason, they think that this is a great idea. Slowed things up, huge. I mean, we spent more time waiting in this line to walk through customs than we did to go through immigration, which is not usually the case. Usually immigration is what holds everybody up and takes forever to get into a country. But after that, no problem. There was a guy waiting out there with a sign with our name on it. We had actually organized with our Airbnb host to get us a driver. So met the guy, he was supposed to speak English, didn't speak English, no big deal. He spoke Spanish, so I conversed with him 100% in Spanish. And we did the drive to the Airbnb about 20 minutes, 25 minutes into Rio. And we, we arrived at like 2 in the morning, something like this, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 2.30 a.m. And we came up to our place in Copacabana and we were, it was kind of funny. I had to explain to the driver who we were and he explained to the security guard in Portuguese because my Portuguese is, well, non-existent. So we kind of did this three-way translation. So it was like, my wife speak to me in English, I speak to the driver in Spanish, the driver speaks to the security in Portuguese. But we got in, no problem. Airbnb was quite nice. I mean, nothing super flash, but an okay place. I think we were paying about $35 a night and we were there for about a week or so, maybe eight days. So we got a slight discount by being there on a week's basis. So it's kind of funny that if you're there for six days, it can actually be more expensive than if you're there for seven days. You'll find this a lot of times on Airbnb. Just play with the numbers a little bit. But yeah, we were in Copacabana and we thought, wow, this is gonna be amazing. You know, we'll be close to the beach. And I booked this place. I didn't actually realize till the next day how phenomenal this location was. Like, I mean, the beach was 30 seconds from our front door. Basically, you go out the front door, you turn left or right, and you go not even a full block. I mean, a half a block in either direction turn and the beach is right there. You're on the main drag in Copacabana. It was perfect. Actually, it was amazing because we don't get all the noise from the beach or from any of the bars or restaurants there. We're just one street back, but super convenient. And then restaurants and cafes everywhere in my neighborhood. I mean, I think my wife and I spent, I mean, two, three times a day, we were out there at different places, trying new food, trying every little dish that you could. I mean, drinks everywhere, coffees. It was fantastic. We just ate our way through Rio. We started looking up really nice uh, Brazilian barbecue places and would go to those. Sometimes on like a Friday night, you can't even get a seat to these types of restaurants but because it's COVID, there's not very many people out. So we were just eating, eating, eating. It was phenomenal. It was just pure vacation. We didn't do much of any work. I was hardly on the computer at all. I loved it. It was just fantastic. We also did a bunch of tourist stuff. 
so we went to Christ the Redeemer, we went to Sugarloaf, we went to the aquarium, we did lots of walks on the beach and city tours, we went and did the steps, I can't remember what they're called now, but uh, lots of pictures. Christ the Redeemer was wild. Well, Christ the Redeemer and Sugarloaf were wild. I had been there probably six or seven, maybe eight years ago. And there was like hundreds of thousands of people lined up. I was actually there when, one time I came to Brazil was when the Pope was in town. And there was something like one million additional people in the city during that weekend or that week that he was there. So going to the tourist attractions was brutal then. I mean, you had to line up for hours and hours and hours. Now, contrast this to traveling during COVID. I mean, Christ the Redeemer, there might have been 15, 20 of us there. We got so many amazing pictures that, I mean, normally it'd be crowds of people. You'd never get a clear shot. I mean, or at least you wouldn't get a clear shot with you and Christ the Redeemer in the same shot. We started doing video calls with my folks, with my dad back home, with my mom, with uh, friends and stuff like that, and showing them where we were. I mean, it was hilarious. Like, I'm just so not used to that for Brazil. There's usually tons and tons and tons of tourists here. But although the tourist destinations are all open, there's not many tourists here. So it's actually, it's kind of a great time to come and be a tourist here because you can get so much done in such a short period of time. Also the traffic, there's hardly any of it right now. So that was just fantastic. We were really, really stoked about all of that. What we were also doing when we were in Brazil, in Rio, was visiting a lot of real estate properties. So I have a passion for real estate. Uh, we have a lot of real estate history in my past and with my family and investments and things like this. So we wanted to start to get a feel for what the prices were like in Brazil. So my wife and I tried to actually visit several brokers. So we started going on Google Maps and searching like real estate agents, real estate brokers, all these types of places so that we could go in and speak to someone. Well, it was so weird. We would find a company, it would say open, it would give the address, we would go there and there'd be no company, like literally nothing. We'd ask around the people on the street, we'd ask the security guard if there was someone there and they're like, no, that closed like two years ago. Like, oh my God. And no one thought to take down the listing from Google Maps, from their website or anything like this. So that was quite frustrating. After probably about a half a day of looking around for a real estate agent, we actually got in contact with someone who said that they had a friend who was an agent. We contacted her via WhatsApp. She had somehow broke her ankle or sprained her ankle during hiking. So she's like, I'm not showing any properties right now, but I'll introduce you to someone else. So gave us a third person's WhatsApp number and we started communicating with him. Now we were pretty lucky because he had actually lived in the States before, so his English was even better, it was like really, really great. So we met him and started traveling around and visiting all these different properties. And we wanted to be in a tourist area, so we started looking around Copacabana and the areas next to Copacabana. And when you convert these places from reales to USD, the deals are amazing right now. For basically like a hundred grand, you're getting a two bedroom apartment in Copacabana, one block from the beach. You can even find some of these places that have just recently been renovated. The one place we saw, it was like literally brand new. 
So they actually had all the appliances, all the furniture, basically everything that was included, like the beds, the couches. I think they were gonna take the TVs with them, but everything else was staying there. And it was like a hundred grand or $102,000 or something. So we started looking at that. We, we viewed, I think about four or five different places while we were there. We started gathering a lot of information on how it works with real estate. Can foreigners buy? What are the closing costs? Do you need legal representation? Are there any restrictions? Is it leasehold? Is it freehold? How does this all fit together? Because I'm doing a series of books right now. We're going to do a book on Brazil. So I'm doing a ton of research. So often when I talk about being an expat in a country, I'm not just talking about things because I armchair did it, or I read about it on someone else's blog, or I watched a YouTube video. I think research and stuff like that is great, but I like to see places for myself. I like to actually go through the experience. So with real estate, that's one of the things that we're doing. We're shopping for real estate here. So we were looking all over uh, Rio, or at least in the tourist areas where we think that we might actually want to buy, asked ton of questions, started building spreadsheets, looked at the different prices, started doing research on Airbnb, short-term rentals, long-term rentals, what could we get for it? So we start to compile a lot of that information and we're still going through it now and looking at some other places. But wrapping up for Rio, it is one of the most incredible cities in the world. I mean, if you guys haven't had a chance to travel through Rio, it is a must do during your life. There's really no other cities in the world that are like it. Right now is a great opportunity. Everything was open while I was there. All the tourist destinations, there's hardly anyone there. So you can experience it. You can experience it fast. You don't have to stand in lines. The prices are great. And the guides are so happy to see you. I think when I worked with one guide, he had told us that you know, a year ago, there was something like between two and 4,000 uh, full-time tour guides that worked, that were registered with the government. And at the moment, there's like 120 or something like that. And these guys, they've had to go out there and find other work because there's just not enough tourists coming in. He spoke like, I think it was four languages, went to university for tourism. I mean, he was a phenomenal guide and he was went from doing two tours a day to one tour a month. Like that's really sad. Like that's just horrible. So I'm out there, I'm actually supporting the local tour operators, these types of sites, spending my dollars where they're needed most and having a great time at the, while I'm at it. Okay, so we left Rio and we were headed to Florianopolis. So there's no flights, or at least we couldn't find any flights from Rio down to Floripa. We had to actually go via Sao Paulo. So no problem, we got a flight to Sao Paulo and then a direct flight to Floripa. Going through the airport is really, really easy. It's all domestic, so obviously you're not gonna need to show any type of PCR test or medical declaration. There's no quarantines. I mean, there's no quarantines entering Brazil anyways but still they don't ask for you for any additional restrictions. But it's about an hour flight from Rio to Sao Paulo. And then we were there for about two and a half hours and then another hour and 20 minutes, hour and 30 minutes to Floripa. And I'll kind of explain what we are doing here because I have, I've been a little bit hush hush about it, but I might as well like uh, spill the beans, I guess a little bit. So my wife and I are in Floripa for the next three to four months because we are actually expecting our second baby. 
So, yep, surprise, uh, we're pregnant. We're actually over eight months pregnant. I mean, we're going to give birth probably any day now, maybe in the next week or so by the time this episode airs. So I'm having a son, I'm having a little boy, and we're really thrilled about it. So we've got a little girl and we're having a little boy. It's gonna be about five years difference between our kids. We didn't originally plan that, but uh, we're very happy and very blessed now to have another child. If you're listening to this and you want to say congratulations or anything like that, I would love to hear from you. If you guys go to Expat Money Forum, I'm sure there'll be a thread on there or even start a thread. If you've ever had a child who's born overseas, give your insights on what that is like. My daughter was born in Abu Dhabi. My son is now going to be born in Brazil. So what does this mean? Well, if your child is born in Brazil, the child is automatically a Brazilian citizen. Now, Canada also does citizenship based on the parent's lineage. So my son will also be a Canadian citizen. So he'll be a dual citizen right off the bat. Now, because I am the legal guardian of a Brazilian citizen, I actually get my permanent residency basically instantly. Me and my wife get our permanent residency straight away. So that's what we're doing. We want to buy a second home. It's not actually a second home. It's probably like a fourth home because we got some other properties around the world. But we really love Brazil. So we decided that we wanted to get our permanent residency here and we wanted to buy another home and we wanted to kind of divide our time between Brazil and Panama and of course China, which we already do now. So that's what we're doing. Eventually, if we do live here, we will be able to qualify for citizenship as well. So I'll be able to get another passport on top of that, which is just gravy. But really, this is a gift to my child. It has been a lot of work to accomplish. And I'll get into some more of the work that we're going through right now so you guys can kind of understand the sacrifices that we've made. But I really believe this is a phenomenal opportunity for my kid going forward that right off the bat he will have Canadian citizenship, Brazilian citizenship, and Panama permanent residency on day one. So once again, this goes towards my philosophy of not just talking about things, but actually doing them myself. I know that there's been other people who have talked about giving birth overseas, doing what's called birth tourism, or there's other names for it. But I mean, a lot of people who talk about it have never actually done it before. I do it myself. So if I work with a client, I can actually share insights of what it is like to have your child be born overseas. Okay, first of all, my, my child born in the Middle East, now my second child born in Brazil. And if we have a third child, who knows, maybe I'll have my third child born in a third country. I don't know, maybe it'll just be in Panama, maybe it'll be back in Brazil, maybe it'll be somewhere else. We'll figure that out <laughs> down the road. Let, let, me, let me handle this one. But yeah, super, super excited. My wife and I are just so thrilled to be having another child. If you've seen on the podcast, we talk a lot about family, we talk a lot about education. As I am traveling and being an expat as a family man, as a husband, I'd like to try to share a lot of these insights. So I think this is one of the things that also makes me a little bit different in the offshore and expat space is, well, first of all, that I'm actually doing the stuff myself. I actually walk the walk. It's not just talk. I mean, I'm actually out here every day trying to accomplish these things so I can help people. But also that if you are a parent or a grandparent, if you have kids or grandkids, 
and you have a family that you travel with, or if you travel with a spouse, you're actually getting insights from someone who's doing it. It's very different than someone who's just putting out YouTube videos and they're just a solo traveler. I mean, I did that for years and years and years, and I knew and understand a lot of those things from that side. But when you travel with a family, a lot of things change and kind of change in an unexpected way. So having insights while being a family man, I think gives me a big advantage over a lot of other people. But anyways, so that is the plan. That is what we're doing in Floripa. We will be giving birth here. It is a beautiful, beautiful place. I mean, it's an island. We're out on the island. It is not crowded whatsoever. It's a real city, but I mean, it's not crowded. I think they say there's a half a million people here, but you would never know it. It's so spread out. All the restaurants are open, all the bars are open, the malls. Uh, we've been going out and meeting people and we've got friends here and stuff, which was one of the reasons that we actually chose here. We knew some people here, so we weren't going to do it alone. Obviously, we don't speak Portuguese, so we'd have a helping hand with the language. Another little <laughs> kind of funny side note about the language. When I had spoke to people and started doing research, people were like, oh yeah, Portuguese, it's so similar to Spanish, you'll be just fine, you can use Spanish and they'll understand you, or there'll be so many people who actually speak Spanish, or you'll understand, you can read it all and everything like that. Okay, for me, this has not been the case at all. When people are speaking Portuguese to me, I have no idea what they're saying. It is brutal. And my English is coming in more handy than my Spanish is. I thought that I could just switch to Spanish and people would speak Spanish as a second language. Like that's, that's literally what so many people told me. In my experience here of being in Brazil for probably a month now, that's not the case whatsoever. There's not many people who speak Spanish here. Maybe in other parts of Brazil there will be, but in Floripa and Rio, that's not been the case. So if you're expecting to get by on English or Spanish, you might find it difficult. Now, thank goodness we have Google Translate. So that's been a huge, huge help for that. And then going on tours, finding guides, finding people that you can work with who speak English does make things much, much easier. Okay, now the drama. Let's get into the drama. Let's get into some of the things that I've had to go through to get ready for this birth. Okay, so the first thing that we needed to do was get a phone. The phone here is not too difficult to get. Actually, I shouldn't call this one of the drama things. Took probably about three hours of waiting in line and having to go back and forth and provide all of this information. But my wife and I each got a SIM card. It was very, very cheap. I think the SIM card was about $5. And then you load it up with about $20 worth and it's a prepay. So I didn't have to go on a plan or anything like that. Now, what they do is they resell the phone numbers. So within about 20 minutes of actually being hooked up, I was getting missed calls from people. I was getting SMSs from people who were looking for money, for banks, for someone else whose phone had been disconnected. So that has been really annoying. I hate it when they reuse phone numbers. And what happens is you can get a phone number as a foreigner and use it while you're here. And if you stop using it within one year, they disconnect it and they immediately resell it to someone else. So not only has this phone number been used by one person, this phone number could have been used by like 10 different people. I have no idea. But you have to constantly be using it or you lose it. Like use it or lose it. So it took us about two and a half, three hours to get our phone, phone sorted, but it's been fine. 
I mean, we got 20 gigs of data to use over the next 12 months. So it'll do us for the entire trip that we're here, but we'll have to continually recharge it. If they don't see that and there's any movement on it, they'll actually cut it off. Uh, the next one was our CPF, our social security number. We are still in the process of doing this. So you have to go to the post office first and show ID as well as some documentation about what your mother's name is and you have to fill in some information on who your mother is and what the passport name is. For some reason, not your father, only your mother's name. Then they give you one paper. You have to take this paper and scan it and send a picture of your passport and you holding your passport. So you need two pictures, one just the passport, one you holding the passport next to your face, a close up, then this number, then proof of address, and then some signed documents and a whole bunch of other things so you can get your CPF. Your CPF is basically like a social security number and you kind of need to use it for some random different things. They said that we would need it for our phone number to get our phone, but actually they didn't ask for it or maybe my friend used hers. I can't remember exactly, but we, so far we've only needed it one time when we went out to buy some baby stuff, they actually needed our CPF because we spent a certain amount of money. Okay. Visiting the doctor, our friend introduced us to a private doctor. He is amazing. If you guys are looking to give birth in Brazil and want contacts for Brazil or the doctor to work with. I mean, if you reach out to us on my website or you go to the forum and ask a question, we can introduce you to that or the company that we're working with. I have no problem making a referral to them. And our doctor is amazing. He speaks perfect English. He was very, very gentle. We came in, we had probably an hour and a half meeting with him the first time, he explained what we're doing. He explained the hospital, how it works, the prices, the cost did a checkup for my wife. Everything is good. Baby is healthy, growing. We are a-okay. We had to bring all of our medical records with us and blood tests. Everything's been great. So we felt good about that. Um, it's pretty interesting. When you give birth here, you can go to the public hospitals, but obviously I have no interest in doing that. First of all, I'm not paying taxes here, so I would never want to use the public healthcare system. I don't want to abuse those types of things. So you can either have insurance, private insurance to do it, or you can pay out of pocket. For us, we're just gonna pay out of pocket for the entire thing. And you have two costs. You have the cost for the hospital. And then if you go and you just use whatever doctor is there on call at that time, then you could, you can. And then it's a certain extra amount. I think it's like maybe 10,000 reales, or maybe, no, maybe not even that much, like 5,000 reales or you can go with your private doctor and basically you hire him for that day. So that's what we're doing. We will pay double the price, but when my wife goes into labor, we call our doctor, he meets us at the hospital. He said his house is right around the corner, so he'll probably beat us there, he'll be waiting for us there. And he is with us the entire time, the entire time. If it takes 12 hours, it takes 12 hours, he is there. If it takes 24 hours, he is there for the entire 24 hours. He doesn't charge any extra for working through the night. If it's 24 hours or 12 hours, he doesn't charge anything extra. When we gave birth in Abu Dhabi, our doctor wasn't available. So we used the doctor that was on call and she was actually dealing with, I think about eight pregnancies at the same time. So she was going from room to room to room to room. 
Now she's a great doctor and the nurses there were phenomenal. I'm not complaining about that, but it was kind of hard because we didn't have anyone to ask questions to. And when my wife was in pain, there was no one to coach us through it. Our doctor is gonna spend the whole time with us there. So we just feel a lot more safe and a lot more secure. Add to that, that our doctor actually speaks English. So we don't have to rely on Google Translate and trying to communicate with the nurse who's there or maybe with the doctor who we would get who didn't speak English. So for us, this is way better. The doctor also told us that if for some extenuating circumstance, he can't be there, he's actually partnered with another doctor who will be on call, who also speaks English. So 100% that one of the two of them will be there, but we shouldn't have any problems. Our doctor should be there. But the prices to give birth in Brazil, I want to say for the hospital are going to be, I think about $2,000 for the hospital and maybe $1,500 for the doctor, something like this, maybe three and a half, maybe $4,000, which is pretty reasonable. I mean, when you pay out of pocket, that's a pretty good price. And now that's for a natural birth. I think for a cesarean, if you end up having to go a cesarean, I think it can go up a tiny amount, but not as much as it does in North America. I've heard of costs in North America where it might be like $20,000 or something to give birth and to do cesarean in Canada, which is nutso. But yeah, completely private hospital, private doctor, private facility. We're paying 100% ourselves. We're not using any of the state-run stuff. So we're not a burden on to them at all. We're actually driving the economy here. And what we're doing by giving birth here is completely legal. Um, we're not gaming the system. I mean, it's right in their constitution that anyone who's born on the soil is a citizen. So we feel very good about this. We're doing an honest and ethical thing. We're helping drive the economy. We feel good about it. Okay, some once again, that's not really drama, but that's kind of breaking down some of the stuff. The drama more comes in with getting our documents ready for this whole process. So normally with immigration, you need to get something notarized. You can just use the local notary or you can use any lawyer that has known you for any amount of time, or you can go to the embassy and they can do some of the work for you. They often do legalization processes. So during that week or so that I was back in Panama and I was getting the group ready and doing all this work, we were also back and forth to the embassies all the time. So the Brazil embassy still closed. The Canadian embassy closed. The UAE embassy closed. The police station, they have now closed their ability to do fingerprinting because we were told we needed criminal record checks. So what they're really looking for is fingerprints and then a police check done on the national level. But the police are no longer doing fingerprints. They will only do fingerprints if it is a criminal case. So if you've committed a criminal crime, like not just a civil crime, but it's actually criminal then they will do your fingerprint for you. Well, obviously I don't want that. That's the exact opposite of what we want. So the most we could do is a name check. I was like, oh my God, this is not gonna work at all. So we didn't bother getting it notarized. Then we tried to contact the UAE embassy because we lived in the UAE for, I was there for eight years, my wife for six years, and we needed to show five years of criminal record checks, police checks. So we had done one of the checks before we had left the UAE and we've had it notarized in Panama and as well it's been accepted 
So we had to get that back from immigration in Panama, which, because we only had a copy of that, but then we wanted to get it updated from the UAE embassy, but they're not working, so they weren't able to do it. The plan was that they would certify it, and then we would DHL it back to the UAE, they would certify it, and then they would DHL it to us in Brazil. But because the embassy is closed, we couldn't get that done. So that's a ton of drama. Then we heard that we needed our marriage certificate notarized by, both, by all the countries. So my wife is from China, I'm from Canada, we got married in the Seychelles, and then we live in Panama, so we were going to try to get it notarized by all the different embassies, or legalized by all these different embassies, but no one's open, so we couldn't do any of these. And then the Seychelles basically has no representation around the world because they're such a tiny, tiny country. It's not like, say, Canada or the US or UK, where they have an embassy in every single country in the world. They're always represented everywhere. Seychelles is pretty small, so they often use someone else's embassy and kind of piggyback off, off of that. Well, that didn't work at all. So we're kind of still trying to figure out our um, marriage certificate. We have heard that maybe what we have is okay because it's been already notarized. I'm trying to think. We got, our, we got married in the Seychelles, then we took it back to the UAE, then we had it notarized in the Seychelles Embassy in the UAE, then we had it to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, then they legalized it, then we had it done in Dubai at the Panama Embassy, and then we brought it to Panama to use to get our Panama immigration. However, they said that they won't accept it, so then we had to take it to a lawyer, to a notary service in Panama and have it notarized again. So our poor marriage certificate has four different stamps and papers and staples and certificates attached to this, this one marriage certificate. You can barely read the thing anymore because it's got all these stickers and stamps and pages and everything on it. So that's ridiculous. So I'm not sure if they're going to accept those four different countries who have gone through it or not, or if now they're going to want their own people to look at it. And if they do, then if we're able to do this in Floripa, or if I have to travel back to Sao Paulo or to Rio to get it done, probably won't be Rio, but might be Sao Paulo. I might have to travel there for some other work stuff in the next couple of weeks. So maybe I'll try to do that at the same time. I'm not sure. That's a nightmare, but we'll figure that out. All right. The next one, birth certificates. For my son to get his birth certificate, we need to have our birth certificates and they can't be just any normal one. We actually have to have the ones that show our parents' full name. So we were just originally told uh, by the people that we're working with that we just need the birth certificates. So my wife got on WeChat, messaged her mom, her mom, went down to, it's not DHL, but it's like DHL, it's the China version of DHL. So she immediately sent it to Shenzhen, Shenzhen to Brazil, took about a week to get here, we got here, and they're like, no, 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 you need to have it legalized in your country that it was issued from, so in this case, in China. And we're like, well, what's the difference? Why don't we just have it legalized here? We can send it to the Chinese embassy, they can legalize it, and then we can have your people do it. No. For Brazil, it has to be done outside of the country, not inside the country. So this is another one of those weird things. Usually, any embassy can do this. Most cases, your, your foreign embassy can take care of this stuff for you. 
but this one, no, it has to be done in your home country. And then you have to send it to the Brazilian embassy or consulate in that country. So we're like, all right, fine. So we go back to DHL, we take it, we send it back to China. Then, because we didn't know about the time change, we didn't want to wait. We just wanted to get this done and we were already at DHL. So then we talked to her mom that night or maybe the following day. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. I have two copies that I have two copies of your birth certificate. I already have one here. I can just send it. We're like, oh my God. So we've now just done a return trip from the one birth certificate. So she's, her mom sends that one off. Then they're saying they won't accept this one. So they have to order a new birth certificate. Then when that comes in, then they have to get it legalized in China. Then they have to send it to the Brazilian embassy in China, and then they'll send it back. So that's a pain in the butt. Now we're doing the exact same thing with Canada as well. We thought that we would be able to get it done here with my Canadian one. They won't. So we started looking at ordering a new one in Canada. My father was taking care of the thing, started calling around at the embassies and notaries and everything like that. But Canada is on complete lockdown. I am on, I'm from Ontario. They're on complete lockdown right now. So nobody is working and getting hold of anyone at the embassies is taking a really long time. So they said to get a new birth certificate could take upwards of, I think, six months. So we're like, okay, never mind that. I'll just send my birth certificate back to Canada. So that's what we did. We went down to DHL and sent it back. It arrived, took, I think, about nine days. And he contacts them and says, okay, I've got the birth certificate. We need you to legalize it. And they say, okay, well, which one is it? If it's the blue one, then we can't do it. We're like, what? I mean, you just asked for the birth certificate. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The blue one is made out of plastic. It's kind of like, it looks like those dollar bills that are around the world that are made out of plastic. You can't tear them. That's exactly what the new birth certificates look like in Canada. So he's like, yeah, we can't, we can't staple anything to it or attach any documents. And we can't, we can't stamp it because it's made out of plastic. We need the yellow one. We're like, why did you not tell us that beforehand? I have the yellow one as well. It's a certificate of live birth. It has all of my information on there. It is already certified, but it has so much information. It has like my weight and my, how tall I was or my length and everything like that, who my doctor was, what hospital I was born at, like all that personal information. Usually you don't need that level of a birth certificate for immigration. Usually any birth certificate, which shows where you were born, the date of birth. And in this case, your parents name is sufficient, but these ones, so never mind. So I have to now not send the blue one. I have to send the yellow one. So my wife went yesterday back to DHL and sent my other birth certificate back to Canada so that they can legalize it so that they can send it to the Brazilian consulate there. Does that all make sense? Good, because even in my head, repeating all of that, it is just a freaking nightmare. So when anyone talks to me about immigration and what it's like to go through a residency or complain to me about how pain in the ass it is working with bureaucrats, 
Uh, trust me, I know. I've gone through this many, many times. And another side note, when someone talks to me about Panama and about what the visa is like in Panama, Panama visa, the visas that we do there, are so easy compared to this. I mean, Brazil is a pain in the ass. I can't believe all the stuff that has to go into this. It's nutso. Now add to that COVID and it just makes it just crazy. But yeah, if you guys are looking between Brazil and Panama, Panama is probably a hundred times easier. So just keep that in mind. Brazil is a beautiful place. The country has so much to offer. I'm not gonna discount that at all. We're having a great time, but this visa process is a pain in the butt. That's just to get my kid's birth certificate so that my kid can get a passport so that I can take my child back to Panama. Now, add to that that I have been told that if we can't sort this out in a reasonable amount of time, my opportunity to actually get the birth certificate will expire and my child will not get a birth certificate. So that is very disconcerting to be honest. We're pretty organized. We are going through it and we're paying attention to all this stuff. So I don't think that is going to happen. I think we will be okay, but they have told us that. So basically after we get all of these documents and the child is born, we go down to the police station with it and submit everything and a police officer there will actually give our, us our permanent residency on the spot. And then we are able to extend our visa here. Well, actually, technically we don't need to extend our 90-day visa here. It is automatically transformed into a permanent residency and we can now come and go out of the country as much as we want. So we'll never have to go through that process that my wife did in Costa Rica to get her tourist visa, thank goodness. And then my son should take, I think, two or three weeks, they said, to get your appointment to get the citizenship. Then I think that we'll do the Canadian citizenship when we're back in Panama and we have a little bit more time to relax and we're not having to do everything, you know, on such a short notice. But anyways, yes. So that's, that's the process. That's kind of a, an update and I'll, I'll give you guys some more updates as we go through it. Certainly in the new group at Expat Money Forum, I'll be talking about all of these things on my newsletter, EMS Pulse. If you go to expatmoneyshow.com and enter in your name and email address, you can subscribe to my free newsletter. I'm gonna be talking about some more of this drama. Now that I've kind of spilled the beans that we're pregnant with our second child, that uh, we're having another kid, I'll be talking about that a lot more. I've been kind of keeping it hush-hush up until now. Okay, so the original plan was also that me and my wife would come down here for a couple of months first, and then about a week beforehand, my mother would fly down with my daughter so that my daughter could be here for the birth. And then we would all spend kind of like a couple of weeks together and then if we needed to, my mother would take my daughter back to Panama. So we were informed when we got here, when we met the doctor, that the hospital is actually not allowing other visitors in. This is a big pain in the butt. So I, as the husband, as the father, am allowed in, but my mother is not allowed in and my kid is not allowed in for the birth. When we were in the UAE, we were actually 
able to have visitors come the next day. And, you know, I think we were three days, maybe four days in the hospital. We had lots of people come by and will well wish us and stuff. None of that. So that's a big pain in the butt. So at this point, I think that there's really no point in my daughter coming down because we really wanted her to be there for the birth. And then afterwards, my wife will be super tired and we just have a small two bedroom apartment here. So there's not a ton of room for her to run around. Now my place in Panama, she has a huge playroom with padding and all her toys and all her stuff. I mean, we got a 4,700 square foot, two story penthouse apartment right across the street from the park. There's a pool. I mean, it's nice hot weather there. It's better for her just to, to wait for us there. Saying all of that, we are separated from my daughter for three, possibly four months which is really challenging. Now, this is not the first time we've been separated from her. Several times she's gone back to China to spend time with her grandparents, which we felt has been really, really beneficial to her because it really has a chance to bond with her waifu and waigong, with her grandmother and grandfather, but also to improve her language, her Mandarin so much. So instead of speaking English for 80% of the day, she's speaking Chinese 100% of the day. And that's why when I say that English and Chinese are both her first languages, I really mean it. So I think she's been to China like five times. And I think three of those times she was there for about two or three months, mostly just with her, with her grandparents, with my wife's parents. So I have been separated from her in the past. And every time it is very, very hard on me, but I always try to do what I think is going to be the best for her. Like for example, when we left the UAE and we had to pack this apartment up, we had you know eight years worth of stuff there. We brought her back to China so that she could run around and have fun and she, we, we, she had someone looking after her and she wasn't sitting around the apartment just doing boring stuff and no one to play with her. So I think she went back for about two months. Then we traveled back went to China for like maybe two weeks, picked her up, spent time with my wife's family, and then flew back to the UAE and back to Canada and then to Panama. So that's kind of the situation why we might do this. It's not just drop her off for no reason. There's always a reason for it. And in this case, it's to give birth again. But we're kind of anxious to get back to Panama. We want to get through this. And then when my son is old enough and it's safe to travel with him, we'll head back to Panama. Okay. Final thoughts about my last month or so in Brazil. Here it is. Uh, Brazil is a beautiful country. There is no question about that. The country is wide open during COVID. I know they've been talking all about these new strains of COVID and it's super contagious and it's going to kill everyone. I mean, nobody seems to care about it here. Maybe 50-60% of the people you see wearing masks on the street, that's about it. All the restaurants and bars, malls, everything is open. There is this pain in the butt about the hospital. That certainly sucks. But otherwise, we haven't seen much change. Where we're staying is right across the street from a football pitch, so a soccer field. There's also the volleyball court, so they're always playing games out there. We can actually watch them from our balcony, which is really cool. For the soccer, there's kids playing soccer every day. They're doing their practices, games on the weekends. There's people out running and jogging in the mornings, people on their bikes, uh, push bikes. 
it's like normal life again. It is really beautiful to see. I hate the lockdowns. I think that people should be able to make their own decisions. If you want to stay home and quarantine yourself, then you should absolutely do that. However, closing the economy and making sure that no one else can do that, no one else can go out there and live their life or build their business or work, I mean, I think is wrong. I think that we will see so many problems from these lockdowns over the last year or so that it will take decades to understand the damage that this has done. The psychological damage, the damage to the economy, to the family, to the kids, I think it's really, really terrible. So one of the other reasons that we chose to be in Brazil to give birth is because it is wide open that we can have a normal life here again. And I think this is really important. Okay, what else can I tell you? The food. The food in Brazil is phenomenal. Oh my god, I love the, the food here. The beef is really good. We first started just getting whatever cheap beef at the grocery store, and it was like kind of average. And then when we started getting quote-unquote the expensive beef, it was like amazing quality. Now, I say expensive because I think the other day we bought a pack of steak for my wife and I. It actually fed us for four meals, one pack, and it was $8. $8 for four meals for steak, and it was really good quality. I mean, lots of places I've lived in the world, if you paid $8, you would get maybe one steak. Maybe it would be 12 bucks for one steak. So you're kind of talking like the difference between about 40 or $50 and $8. But the produce is really good quality here the fruits and the vegetables, and it's all cheap, 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 like very, very, very reasonable. We have a market that's close to our house, so my wife goes down a couple times a week and does all the shopping there. Then we've got grocery stores around. We've even found a gluten-free bakery, and there's gluten-free beer, so I'm in heaven. Uh, what else can I tell you? Uh, the Airbnbs are cheap here, super, super cheap. We got a two-bedroom place here for 40 bucks a night or something like that. And since we're here for three months, they gave us a great deal. We were able to negotiate a little bit. We also add, got them to throw in cleaning. So every two weeks, we have a woman who comes and does a deep clean on the place because I'm too busy with work and my wife is eight and a half months pregnant. She's not gonna be wanting to clean all those types of things and bend down and scrub floors and stuff. So totally understandable. So you can actually negotiate in other ways which are not just discounts on your Airbnbs. Getting other things like technology in Brazil, technology goods, computers, laptops, microphones for my podcast, you might notice that the quality of the podcast audio is slightly different over the last few episodes. That's because I only brought kind of a condensed version of my setup. I didn't bring everything with me. I kind of wish that I did because the quality that I have on the other stuff is a lot better, but it was just too much stuff with baby things, my stuff, my wife's stuff for four months. It's too much. So we tried to go out there and buy a microphone. We can't seem to find the stores that we're looking for, a music store or a technology store or laptop store or anything like that. Then I went on Amazon and tried to order the stuff from the United States. The tax here is nuts. Like I, I had heard that they had high tax and high import duties, but I really had no idea. So the other day I tried to make a purchase. It was, I wanna say $85, about $85. And it was $14 in shipping and handling. So all total was just under $100. 
the import duties and tax that they wanted to charge was like 106 bucks. I mean, you're talking, I mean, 110% tax. 110%. I'm like, how is that even possible? That is insane. I'm Canadian. I am used to high tax. I know what high tax is. I've never seen anything like this. In Panama, we pay $3 a box for customs. That's it. Then I just pay the shipping and handling fee, which is, I mean, a not a tax at all. That's the physical, that's the payment of the physical movement of a good from one place to another. It's not a tax at all. And since I order everything sent to Miami, I'm not paying any state tax in the United States. It's all tax-free. So I get stuff in Panama for cheap, cheap, cheap. We're constantly ordering packages and they take like three days to get there. Here, it's supposed to take an extended amount of time. You're getting about 110% tax on everything. And yeah, what a nightmare. So I've kind of decided that I will just use my current podcast setup and just kind of ask you guys to close one eye and concentrate more on the quality of the content opposed to the quality of the production value, if you will. But that's it. I mean, Brazil, cool place. Um, what else can I tell you? Power supply. Power supply was another interesting one. For some reason, our plugs here wouldn't work. And I don't mean the adapters. I mean the actual power. Usually when I take my laptop, I use an adapter and change it over to the new plug. It works instantly. But I actually had to get a converter here. That's unusual. And because we have you know, my wife's laptop, my laptop, a second screen, all this different stuff. I had to get a thousand watt one. So the thing must weigh about three kilos, two or three kilos. So after I'm done using it, I'm just gonna give it away to my friends or I'm gonna try to put together a box of stuff, leave it in their garage or something. And then when we buy a house here, then I'll already have one. But that's really weird. I mean, I've traveled to more than a hundred countries. Usually my laptop always works in the other country. You just need an adapter. You don't need a converter. We have looked at buying properties here in Floripa a little bit. Uh, we found this really beautiful house. I think it was a three bedroom house. It had an in-ground pool, amazing views, everything like that. All in was 81,000 US dollars. $81,000. I mean, you're not going to get anything for $81,000 back home. <laughs> so that's amazing. So we're going to be shopping. I think we want to get a house with a really nice beach view here and then a nice place that's going to have, you know, four or five bedrooms so I can bring the entire family here and spend three, four months a year and not having to worry about being separated on different properties or anything like that. That's it. That's all. That's today's episode. What you guys can do for me is you can join the email newsletter at expatmoneyshow.com. You can leave me a review on Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher Radio or wherever actually allows you to leave reviews. I think Apple Podcasts is usually the best. I think that's what most people do. And then join our group at expatmoneyforum.com or if you just go to Facebook and you type in expatmoneyforum, you'll get, it'll show up there. Tons of really, really cool people there. I'm really stoked with how that's happening. Make some comments. Let me know your thoughts. What do you think of Brazil? Have you traveled here? Have you been here before? Do you want to move here? Have you thought about residency or buying a property or giving birth in a country? Have you ever thought about birth tourism? I want to hear it all. I want to hear your thoughts, guys. So 
That is it. Have a great week. I will see you next Wednesday. And that's it. Sayonara. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.